Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you this morning as this is, first and foremost, my first time being up here. I cannot tell you what an honor, what a blessing it is to be up here before you. And with that, I cannot thank enough the Pastor Matt and the leadership of this church for presenting me with this opportunity. Again, I sincerely appreciate it. As we've discussed over the last month, we've been in the series of studying Colossians, getting into the depth of Colossians and understanding what Paul's letter was being conveyed to the church of Colossae. And we will continue our expository series into the book of Colossians. Last week we studied Colossians 2 verses 1 through 4 and the three benefits of the knowledge of Christ. The confidence, the knowledge and wisdom, and the safety we have within the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. This week we get into verses 6 and 7 of Colossians chapter 2. If you'll turn there with me. Right. And then once everyone is there, if you will stand with me as we give reverence to the Word of God. And we read. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, having been built firmly, rooted, and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough, Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We surrender any thoughts or distractions that may be in the way of hearing you fully, Lord. May any and all the words that come out of my mouth, may they not be of me, but may they be of you, Lord. May you open our hearts, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So the significance of these two verses itself, we, for the first um, chapter of Colossians and going into the um, first five verses of Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see a clear instruction, rather a teaching and doctrine that Paul's been trying to convey to the church of Colossae. Bear in mind, Paul has been imprisoned. So for his concern to be of the church, this has a heavy weight. This is not just a, um, hello, how are you? This is a powerful implication. Verse 6 starts off with therefore. So then the first question that comes out is, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, when we think about it, verse four, therefore is actually a transitional phrase. So taking one train of thought and moving it over to a second train of thought. We've already had the doctrine. We've already had the um, teaching that Paul was trying to convey. Now comes the action, putting the um, rubber to the road in two terms. Um, J. Vernon McGee has a great quote on this, and he calls it directing the rightful attention to the head 
of head, body, Christ. Sole point of it. If you're reading out of the NIV, NLT, or HCSB, you'll see that it says the spiritual fullness of Christ just above verse 6. And that's what we're about to get into. As we move on from therefore, we see that there is the strict instruction of received. What does it mean to receive Christ? Often we associate this with the um, answering a simple question or checking that box on a pamphlet. But what I'm telling you here and now is that it's much more than just that. Light bulb moment number one. Receiving Christ is not a daily vitamin. It's the main course. With that being said, we take a look at this and often... It's the life-changing decision to surround my life in him, to surrender my life in him, dissolving ownership of my life. My life is no longer mine, it is his. But it begs the question, have you received Christ? And if that has happened, how do we see it? How do we know it? We go on. What Paul is attempting to convey through the letter is that Christ's spiritual fullness is not a resolution made on New Year's Day and ended by February. It is a life-altering commitment. To receive Christ is eternal. Bear in mind, this is a decision that right now will determine whether eternity is spent with him or would you be experiencing eternity in his judgment. Again, begs the question, have you received Christ? If not, don't let that opportunity slip past. Light bulb number two, it is one thing to know of God, and it's another thing completely to have known him intimately. What you've accepted Christ, you are engaged to him as Lord of your life. So have you actually followed through with accepting him? As we continue on, we get into the topic of living, walking in him. To walk in him is to live in him. This is the first time that an imperative verb throughout the entire book of Colossians is brought up. So important that after receiving him now, we are instructed to walk. Now, if we're instructed to walk, what does that look like? Charles Spurgeon describes it as, a conversion in turning on the right road. The next thing to do is to walk on it. Easier said than done. More challenging than we give it credit for. To walk in him is to live in him. You remember that old saying, walk the walk and talk the talk? If we are truly changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, our perception, perspective, and response to any scenario we encounter should mirror Christ. Huh. So it should mirror it. If it mirrors it, it's a reflection of how Christ handled situations and circumstances. I ask this question, how has your spiritual walk influenced your physical walk? For my middle schoolers, what does that look like? Is it, do people notice a difference? Do people notice a 
change of tone. You don't talk the same. You don't look the same. You don't act the same. What about my youth kids? Yes, I was going to call you out on this. What about school? Are your efforts, are your actions, are your behaviors resembling that life-changing event, that life-changing circumstance? Now for the adults. What about in the workplace? Easily angered, easily frustrated, short with coworkers, or the complete opposite? Showing grace where it's difficult to show grace. Show understanding where it's difficult to show understanding. Showing a peace of mind that, yes, things may happen, but understanding that it's much more than just that. Bear in mind, Paul's letter conveys a warning for false gospels, misguided ideologies, and a human flawed philosophy. We go from verse 6 into verse 7, and now we really do get into the four aspects of walking in him. First one, you're rooted. To be rooted, we must be planted in good ground with the emphasis that we are rooted in Christ. Clear example of that, if you get an opportunity, I would highly encourage you to read Matthew 13, 1 through 23. I'll go over the highlights of it. Of four soils that were present, it was only one plant that was planted in one of those four soils that actually bared fruit. To be rooted... After you have been rooted, we as believers may experience a season of pruning. Always uncomfortable, always unpleasant, always frustrating, and labor-intensive. But most importantly, necessary. That pruning leads to intentional seeking him. Or it should for the person that has received him. When those struggles start to come up, it's funny how we start to wonder, God, are you there? Hello? And we get to that point that we're searching for him so hard because in that moment, we feel like we need him more then than any other time. It goes back to what we were talking about to receive him. It's not just something you do on Wednesdays and Sundays. It is a constant progression in him. So to be rooted What's the following step? Well, you're being built up. Now, as we just discussed rooted, you saw an agricultural approach to describing what it means to be rooted. But to be built up, we're going to change the tone a little bit and look at it more from an architectural approach. I want to thank some brothers for painting the wall right behind us. They did a phenomenal job, and we appreciate that. But just as it is with physical buildings, our hearts, once the building up process starts, some walls need to come down. Some walls need to be changed when it comes to paint. Now you're saying, whoa, 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 wait, I, I don't get what you're saying. Well, bear with me. To what? Those walls in your life that are withholding you from fully accepting and receiving Christ, and I'm talking about the pride the hurt, the anguish, 
the sense of loneliness, all of these things, having received him and having been rooted in him, they have to change. Shades of pain in your heart that need to change, but yet easier said than done. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 share a lot of similarities to Ephesians 2.20. So if you'll turn there with me, and we'll read that real quick. All right. And it says, Having been rooted on the foundation of the apostle and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. After receiving and having been rooted, we know that our foundation is set. But what we build upon that foundation in Christ is only limited by what we're willing to sacrifice, only what we're willing to say, it no longer has a burden on me. It doesn't have a hold of me. I have surrendered it. It is no longer my own. Now, if we read verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. A lot of similarities between Ephesians 2.20 and Colossians 2.6 and 7. As my youth students know, if I mention it more than once, there's probably reason for it. There's probably some significance for it. But if the Word of God mentions it, mentions it more than once, then there is a whole lot of importance with it. Paul's other letter to the church of Ephesus was with the emphasis of building. A constant in a person's walk with Christ are refining circumstances. We further this thought a little bit more. So we've been rooted. We've been built up. We've been established. Or we're about to get to established. But what does it mean to be like him? Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. It is a long one. But if you'll turn there real quick with me. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Pause right there. What I had mentioned before, if you look at where we're reading at right now, just above verse 6, if you do have an NIV, NLT, or HCSB, it talks about the spiritual fullness of Christ. Well, then again, in Ephesians 4.13, it talks about the spiritual fullness of Christ. There's something important here, something to grasp, emphasizing the likeness of Christ. And we go on. As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Work to be done. A process. Refining. 
As we continue to grow our faith in him, we begin to see and feel our roots dig deeper, anchoring us, enabling us to weather the storms of life. Our established walk can then, be, then discern the differences between sound theological doctrine versus misguided ideology and human flawed philosophy. Next week, we get into the philosophy that Paul was discussing in his letter to the church. But right now, we're talking about what our greatest defense is when it comes to dealing with those ideologies, when we come to deal with those philosophies. For six years, I worked at Lifeway. Most of y'all know this. Maybe some don't. And the thing was, was that you almost gain a false sense of it's a Christian store. There must be Christian literature there. It's a bookstore, of course. But more and more we think about it, and it's difficult to say this, but not every single book could be fully vetted with the Christ-centeredness that we're talking about in verse 6 and 7. Christian li- Oh, it says Christian living. It must be the section that I need to go to to understand where Christ is leading me. It says life help, and I need some help in my life, so I need to go there. But does it make the filter? Does it go through the filter? Now you're saying, what's the filter? We're getting there. Our established walk can then discern the difference between sound theological doctrine versus misguided ideology and human flawed philosophy. Pastor Matt brought this up last week, and I think he took it from me. I'm serious when I say this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Goes back to the name of the series we've been going through for the last month. Christ is all through the book of Colossians. So, if we're needing a filter to understand what is human-made and what is biblically true, biblically, what else sounds familiar to biblically? What about the Word of God? It's a pretty accurate filter. A book that I've recently started reading, or actually I've been reading for a couple of months now, it's been The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. Highly recommend that you grab that book if you get a chance. And there was a certain quote from that book that has stood out and rang with me throughout the weeks of preparation for this message. Here it is. No matter how many people it helps, no matter how good it makes you feel, the religious efforts not rooted in the gospel is rooted in self-justified self-worth. Huh. So going back to that statement about Christian literature, it says Christian on there. It says life help. I can, I can, I can justify it. I can understand it. I can receive it because it implies that it's been Christian-based and it's Christian-focused. And I know Lifeway was tedious in making sure that the resources that were present were based upon a solid foundation, again, with a few nuggets that slipped past here and there. But the reality of it is we do have a filter. It's right here. 66 books in one called the Word of God. If it's not built up on this cornerstone, then it's rationalized. 
It's justified behavior. Last week, we also mentioned that Paul's point of possible derailments of the church were really good-sounding nonsense and plausible arguments. If we can rationalize it, we can justify it. How scary that is. This letter was written so long ago, but yet it has such implications for today's church. Not just this church, but every church. David Wilkerson, uh, Pastor David Wilkerson, um, his video series um, on anguish was a great series. And he says one thing that stands out. We have gotten to the point that we have allowed our church to be married to the world. Shocking, shaking, and honestly terrifying. But again, if it's not set on the word, then what is it set on? Then we get to the last point. One of the chief aspects of the Christian life, and that is gratitude. As a believer, have our responses been a reflection of gratitude? Bear in mind, this weighted heavy on myself. And it's hard to think that gratitude is just as important as growing, being established, and reaffirmed in the reason for pruning. Remember when I said we go through those seasons where it feels like it's not right. You go to the doctor, and it's not the results you wanted to get. You go to the mail, you pick up your mail, you see a letter that says foreclosure. It's not what you expected. You find yourself unemployed for an extended period of time, and you're questioning God, where do I go next? Or you're waiting on an application and to hear back from somebody, and in that season of waiting, you hear nothing, and it's an echoing silence. And hypothetically, a person could easily say, yeah, this is hard to do. Exactly. It is hard to do. Gratitude is the last thing after being received, rooted, and established in him. Why? Because without those other three chief aspects, it's near impossible. But with Christ, all things are possible. To be established in him gives us certain security. Why? Because we're not relying on our own strength. We're not relying on our own ability to withstand what we're going through. Again, we've been rooted Those storms start stacking up, and you start to get weak on your own standing. You start to grow weak on your own merit, on your own achievements. Basing our our ability to get through something on what we've gone through prior, it's a good mindset, but it's completely inadequate compared to fully relying on him. Last verse to reference for verses 6 and 7. If you'll turn to Hebrews 13, 15. 
And it says this. I'll give you a few more seconds. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. Wow. Emphasizing the sacrifice of praise. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. It's easy to understand, but it's not easy to do. The action requires the ability to follow through. The sacrifice. Our ability to glorify God with gratitude is described and depicted through the New Testament as a sacrifice of praise, whether it was from the apostles, whether it was from the disciples, or whether it was from Christ himself. It required sacrifice. It was unpleasant. Again, the pruning took place. The constant testing, the refitting, the reforming to know how to be effective in knowing God. How can we be grateful and thankful in all circumstances? Well, let's start off with this. Because of the gospel. Not without infinite implications, Christians, remember, you have Christ. Christ Almighty. It's a result of Christ working. It's not of our own merit. Yes, we can show gratitude, but when it has been rooted and established and reaffirmed in them, that is where the true gratitude lies. Our outlook looks a little bit different. Our perspective changes, and our ability to move with the punches as they come changes. <laughs> Lastly, Assured of that, they can appropriate the riches that are his legacy to believers. It's not our legacy. It's never been about our legacy. It's been his legacy. And walk in him. As they walk in him, they will grow in him and become established in their faith. As a result, they will give praise to God. As we draw up on the conclusion, I don't know about you, but it's left me a lot of things to think about. Brother, I can say for myself it's weighed like a ton of bricks, and it's left a few questions to be asked. Where are we at, church? Where are we at? Maybe a more intimate-leveled question is, where are we at personally? Has our life been a reflection of Christ? Has our life been rooted in Him and established in Him? Or have we just checked off the box? Have we just answered the question but had no follow-through with it? Are we rooted deep enough to face any storm? Fathers, have we been good examples to our, to our wives and to our children? Wives, have we been good examples to our husbands and to our children? And children, I ask this, have you seen it? Have you experienced it? 
Has what has happened behind closed doors been the same thing you've seen in public? Or are they a completely different person? Again, looking in a mirror, we ask that of ourselves. Has my reflection looked like Christ? Or have I been doing just the bare minimum to make it through? I've been doing just enough. I've been taking that supplement on Sundays and Wednesdays and saying, yeah, that's good. I'm good. That's all I need. Maybe go to church on a Sunday morning when you're feeling really low. Or maybe go into church on a Sunday morning when you're feeling like you're on top of the world. Hate to break it to you, but it's a lot more than just that. If that's how we were to treat our relationship with Christ, what's any difference from how we treat our relationships with those around us? We're there for them when they need us. We're there for them when we're um, needing something from them, but otherwise we never hear from them. We don't keep that genuine connection with those around us. And in the same way, we don't keep that genuine connection with Christ. He's been there. He's been waiting. I have a brother in the crowd that will constantly surprise me with an unexpected letter. Just saying, how are you doing? Who even writes anymore? Who, who's received that handwritten letter that says, hey, I'm thinking of you. I thought about you this week. I wanted to check up on you. And Christ has been right there with a the bullhorn saying, hey, I'm right here with you. Just look, look for me. Search for me. Seek me and I will clearly show that I'm right there with you. And it goes back to the question, have you received Christ? Have you fully submitted yourself to his lordship over your life? I'm scared. I don't need it. I'm doing good enough. All these excuses. Time said time and time again. Has the gospel changed your life in such a way that you are walking in him? If not, don't leave this morning without settling the matter. If you'll stand with me.